0: Wow, I haven't done one of these intros in a while. (laughs) I just haven't felt the need to do one. I feel like a lot of the time my guest stories are sufficient and that's what you guys are here for. You're not really here to listen to me talk, (laughs) but uh, I wanted to do a little bit of an introduction for this one, not because the stories don't introduce themselves, because they certainly do, but because March is Endometriosis Awareness month and that is why I am doing several episodes with guests telling their endometriosis stories and sharing their journeys through diagnosis, treatment, and beyond. I wanted to provide a little bit of information on what endometriosis is because I am aware that some people aren't very familiar with it or sometimes not familiar with it at all. Endometriosis is when endometrial tissue, which is what lines your uterus grows outside of your uterus so it is therefore problematic we want to see endometrium in your uterus (laughs) we do not want to see it outside of your uterus symptoms include things like pain um, that can be pelvic or abdominal pain painful menstruation is probably what a lot of people associate it with painful sex and This is not an exhaustive list at all because it can actually cause a whole slew of other symptoms as well, which you'll see from this episode in particular, but also the episodes coming up, I'm sure. Endometriosis is also a cause of infertility, but not everyone with endometriosis will be affected. Diagnosis is difficult. There's some evidence suggesting that it can now be done for a large proportion of people with endometriosis by transvaginal ultrasound, but unfortunately this still isn't applicable to everyone, so the primary route of diagnosis remains laparoscopic surgery or keyhole surgery, and this is considered the most accurate diagnostic method according to Cochrane Review. The most commonly seen treatment option for endo right now is oral hormonal contraceptives or birth control. And this is to help manage the pain associated with menstruation primarily and potentially some other symptoms that may present. Interestingly enough, when I was reading through this and researching for this episode, I did find out that, according to Cochrane Review, evidence behind oral contraceptive use for treatment is actually not very good quality. It's probably one of the most prescribed treatments for endo, yet the studies on it are not great this isn't the best treatment option it seems however a lot of people are prescribed it I've read uh, reports and stories shared that some people really do think that it helps them others not so much so really depends on the person like it is for most treatment options but I did think it was interesting that the evidence kind of says well we're not sure (laughs) this is really that great and it's could be because the studies are not great quality, but could also be because perhaps it's not the best treatment option. Who knows? Other treatments have been studied. I will include a link in my blog post associated with this episode to this Cochrane page. It has tons of information on endometriosis, tons of information on the studies that have been done to date on all the treatment options, all the surgical options, that kind of stuff. Really, really interesting Especially if you have endometriosis and like to do your own research, this page just has everything on it. Anyway, most of the treatments that have been studied, some are used, but some have a lot of side effects. Many require more research. Surgery can be done to remove the tissue and any scar tissue related to it, but the only problem with removing like the lesions that are caused by endometriosis is that they can come back. So this isn't a cure. It cannot be cured. The cause of endo is complex as well. It seems to be impacted by several factors. Because we don't really have a pinpointed cause, there's no prevention, but it seems like if a patient is diagnosed early and has some treatment early, it could help reduce how severe it becomes as time passes. Endo is extremely common, (laughs) like surprisingly common. It affects approximately one in 10 women. So it's really important to be aware of, yet there's surprisingly low amount of awareness around it. Low amount of research. Even among healthcare providers, the understanding of it seems to be pretty limited. Endo can take years to diagnose, as you can see, and as you will see from this episode, and it lacks treatment options. Many of them may not be helpful for everyone. It would benefit from further research and a commitment to improving the lives of those who have it because it can be debilitating, and you'll learn that throughout these few podcast episodes. Debilitating in more than just a painful period sense. I originally intended for these stories to be combined into one episode, but this one is going to be a standalone one. It's just the way that it worked out. I'm hoping the next two episodes will include two guest stories each, but we'll see how it goes and how long the episodes end up being for each of them or how long the recording is. So thank you so much to everyone who volunteered to speak about their endometriosis journey with the podcast. As always, I'm so, so, so thankful for you guys. Uh, So thankful for my guests. So thankful for my listeners. And yeah, that's it. a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. If you have a medical question, please seek help from your primary care provider.
1: Hi, my name is Jo. I am from upstate New York. Uh, right now I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have two daughters of my own and I'm also a certified foster parent and I'm living with endometriosis. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I knew you were a certified foster parent too. That's a whole topic I'd love to have you actually back on to talk about. I totally didn't even oh, think yeah. about that before. Yeah, no, I would love to. Because that's, that's definitely something that we should talk more about as well. But yes, we're here today for you to share your experience having endometriosis. So I did do like a little poll on Instagram just to see kind of what people's knowledge of endometriosis was. And I wasn't unfortunately surprised to find out Mm -hmm. that most people don't know that much about it. Oh, yeah. I feel that the people who did respond saying they knew about it were actually in healthcare. And even Mm -hmm. then, I think that the knowledge is still limited, like, and I'm sure you know that from having it and going through the healthcare system that it's not perfect.
1: Oh, yeah, no, very much so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I think this is going to be, like, really informative for people to firstly, hear your experience with it from, from someone who has it and has experienced it firsthand, as opposed to just getting information about it. And also just to raise awareness because it's endometriosis awareness month, but I mean, mm-hmm. really it should be endometriosis awareness year like, uh-huh, yeah, for all sure. the time. Right. So what were your first symptoms or signs of endo? And, and I mean, you probably at I mean, if they're your first symptoms or signs, you probably didn't recognize it as obviously as endometriosis right away. But what kind of started happening that led you to kind of seek a diagnosis?
1: So, I mean, I think a lot of people who have it can relate to this, you know, it starts at least for me, you know, it started pretty early on, even before I got my first period, which, you know, Mm -hmm. usually that is when your onset of symptoms will start. Mm -hmm. Um, But like looking back and looking at my health, going back before that even happened, I used to always get extreme migraines as a young child. And, you know, they would be so debilitating, like it would make me very, very ill. And then, you know, I got my first period. And then soon after that, after like my first few cycles, things started happening. You know, I would still get the migraines. My period like was never very regular and it just started to get more and more irregular. They were extremely painful right off the bat. And mind you, I'm 12 years old (laughs) at this time. So dealing with this at a very, very young age, you know, very heavy periods unfortunately and just like I said extremely extremely painful and still getting those like crazy crazy migraines but of course you know unfortunately in our society when I would bring it up to people you know like and be and ask like the other women in my life like why is this happening I was usually just met with oh that's just you know you're a woman normal yeah this is your life now for the next 30 40 years you know get used to it and I was like that doesn't Seem right because you know my friends aren't throwing up and passing out when they get their period so <laughs> yeah doesn't seem normal, but okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The migraines is that I like, I'm familiar with the common like pain, pelvic pain, bad Mm -hmm. menstrual cramps, symptoms of endo. Are migraines related to endo like quite frequently? they
1: are. And it's usually because of hormonal shifts. So with endometriosis, your hormones are Pretty out of whack a lot of the time. I believe it's too much it estrogen or progesterone, one or the other. Yeah. And trying I have, to think I'm, which one caused I'm behind on my research. <laughs> usually, I want to say it's estrogen. I think, I it's, think
0: estrogen. it's estrogen because from the like endometrial tissue mm-hmm. cause increased estrogen, I think. So, yes,
1: I makes- believe it's the estrogen, just a lot of estrogen. So that's usually what it was. And that would continue, you know, I would get them so often I remember being an older teen maybe like end of high school beginning of college it got to a point where I was pretty much having a migraine I think the longest one I recorded was like a few weeks long like it just wouldn't go oh my away God, that's horrible. and it was it was not great and I took way too much Advil because I would have to take it around the clock every day Yeah. I can't believe I don't have holes in my stomach, but I was just like living off of Advil for a while. Funnily enough, that is a symptom that after pregnancy, I actually don't really get migraines anymore. I get headaches pretty frequently, but nothing like I used to, but so. So
0: that's, yeah, I was going to say that's, that's a perk for sure. (laughs) Week long. Like that's ridiculous. I didn't even know that migraines could last that long.
1: Yeah. I, I remember like finally one day, like waking up and feeling better. And I was like, wow, that was like three weeks worth of a migraine. It just like never went away. It was awful.
0: (laughs) I think I was like 17 or something. Oh God. How did you function? Well, I
1: mean, it's just that it was just that mindset, you know, of Mm -hmm. this, this is just how it's supposed to be from now on this is normal you know you're you're a woman you get your period or you know you go through that and after that you're just uncomfortable from then on out and so I was like okay
0: (laughs) yeah and that's something that people are still told from what Mm -hmm. what I've heard so so what led you kind of like to seek a diagnosis like when did you get diagnosed and how Mm -hmm. was that journey for you like how long did it take to diagnose you
1: So I had never gone to an OBGYN or any kind of other doctor that dealt with women's health until I was about 21. And so it was about 10 years, you know, of which is actually like very common. Like if you ask most people who have endometriosis, like how long did it take you to get diagnosed So that It's about 10 years. Yeah. It's kind of funny what led me to get diagnosed. I did not know much about endometriosis at all. I had heard about it. Somebody had mentioned it to me, a friend of mine in college, because she had PCOS.
0: And oh, yeah, okay. she
1: talked about um, endometriosis. And I was like, oh, what is that? And she described it to me. And I was like, you're describing my life. <laughs> I decided to look it up. And I did a tiny bit of research. And I was like, well, maybe I should get this looked into because I had read that it you know, can cause Fertility issues, and I had actually just very recently started my my relationship with my now husband, and you know we had talked about you know someday wanting kids together. He was actually the one that kind of pushed me a little bit because I had never really thought about getting diagnosed. Like actually, like I would just kind of talk about it, and he was like, "Well, maybe you should get that looked into." So I finally did, and I. I'm very, very fortunate. This is not often the case where the first doctor I saw, I just explained every symptom I'd had, you know, growing up from the time I started my um period and to then, and she immediately said, I think you have endometriosis and I think we should do surgery to diagnose you, which I was, like I said, very fortunate. Most people have to go through I don't even know how many doctors. Yeah,
0: like probably
1: to be m- believed.
0: Multiple at least in some cases. So many,
1: so yeah. many because I mean normally you you go to a OBGYN or any, you know, primary care doctor and you're like, "Oh, I I have really painful periods or this or that." And they're like, "Okay, well then we'll just put you on birth control." Yeah. And there's no more investigation. Yeah. So, you no, know, she immediately was like, "You really sound like you have endometriosis." And I was like, I was a little like part of me was like really hoping she'd be like, mm, you know, it's probably this or that, you know, it's not jump to worst case scenario. So like a little bit of my heart kind of dropped a little bit. I was like, oh no, I didn't really want to have it, but it was also really nice to have answers. So she actually scheduled me for surgery within a month of like seeing me the first time. And I had my laparoscopic procedure, and it was funny. She told me, if I don't find anything. I'll probably only make one incision but if I do find something I'll probably have to make more than one incision I remember waking up from surgery and getting into my recovery room and looking down and I saw two incisions and I was like okay oh my
0: I God. know that I
1: know she found something yeah so you know I got diagnosed I think I was 21 yeah I was 21 years old and unfortunately the treatment after that you know there's really not too much treatment
0: (laughs) that you can do I think the hardest parts seem to be like the diagnosis because a lot of people blow it off and healthcare professionals I mean and 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 then obviously the fact that even when you do get diagnosed there's not much they can do really
1: yeah it's (sighs) It's hard because I think a lot of doctors, because there's so little known about it, which does infuriate me just a little bit because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's one in 10 women, which is common, common. It is exactly. extremely common. Yeah. Um, yet there's little to no research in it. There are very, very, very few specialists. I, there's probably more, but I only know of one, very prominent specialists in the United States, in New York City. I really haven't heard of any more. There probably are, but like I said, I haven't heard. Um, But yeah, it's so understudied and misunderstood. And so doctors are just like, okay, well, we'll just go with what people have been doing, which Mm -hmm. has never worked. So I don't know why. And even certain surgeries, like doing a laparoscopic surgery and, you know, lasering the, um, Uh, the endometrial tissue that Mm -hmm. is on the places it shouldn't be is actually technically not really what you should be doing anymore based on what specialists have said so
0: yeah what is the like preferred treatment at this time or the recommended one I guess uh, the
1: research I've done through the specialist that's in New York City his name I believe is Dr. Sechkin Mm-hmm. Um, he even may be retired now but he developed a therapy or I want to say therapy through uh, laparoscopic surgery but he called it cold scissors mm-hmm. and I believe it was a way of not just zapping the top layer but like kind of boring in and kind of like excising it out from like the root okay yeah. hoping it wouldn't grow back I haven't done a lot of research on that in quite a few years.
0: But that is what I read. I just googled it. (laughs) Uh, A lot of recent research building on it, it looks like from this last year and the year before. So yeah,
1: I think um, Dr. Sechkin has been like really pushing for more research to be done into it. I think even maybe his son might be either taking over his practice or was working with him to try and like further the field because he saw this as like a a huge problem that nobody was dealing with so he was like okay you know I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this he has a clinic in New York City I actually considered going to but I never ended up going
0: yeah it seems like it seems like that method is actually quite promising for treatment now I mean I'm not I haven't read through the whole thing but that's at least there's something in the works but it's sad that it's taken so long
1: it takes a very long time yeah
0: So what type of treatment like were you offered and what worked for you? So I was given the
1: pretty typical treatment options, which is birth control
0: Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm.
1: to try and help with my symptoms. Because again, that's all doctors really are able to do. If you don't know much about it and you're not a specialist in it, all you're going to do is treat symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, terrible cramps, heavy bleeding, you know, the headaches, this, the that, So they throw birth control at you. I think I went through three or four different birth controls and none of them worked. They all made my symptoms worse or actually caused very severe depression. So I could not be on any type of hormonal birth control at all. The last birth control we tried was the Depo-Provera shot and it was so potent. It messed me up a lot. It messed with my hormones in a really bad way. I ended up having unexplained constant bleeding for like almost a year straight. It never stopped. (laughs) Yeah. it never stopped. And it was a little scary because I was coming up to my wedding and I was like, I kind of don't want to be dealing with this. (laughs) I think I only, I didn't even do a full year. I did three shots and I was like, "Mm, I need to not be on this anymore. Yeah. So I tried the birth controls and then I went off the birth controls and that was kind of pretty much the only treatment option I was given beyond my surgery. And then I had a whole other slew of problems that after I'm doing some research myself, because unfortunately, that is something that you're going to have to do if you have endometriosis. You have to be the one that does the research. I had other things related to or that can be I don't know, brought on by endometriosis happened with me. I developed hyperprolactinemia, which is also can be another cause of infertility along with endometriosis. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like one thing after the other. Some, some new research has come out that links hyperprolactinemia to endometriosis. It was a new study, actually, I just found um, in the last few years. So,
0: and how did you manage that? Cause like, I know that you have kids so so
1: I probably never would have known that I had it because mm-hmm. there's really no way of knowing I mean it I was gonna like say a very silent thing yeah but I had like I was at home one day and we had been trying to conceive for quite a, little, quite a while at this point and my this is probably gonna be sound like a really weird story, but I my shirt felt a little wet, which mm-hmm. I was like, that's really weird. And I noticed I was like spontaneously lactating.
0: Oh interesting. Yeah, because
1: of the high prolactin level. And yeah so I got tested and I wasn't pregnant or breastfeeding. So
0: yeah. So there's only only so <laughs> many reason options. Why. Yeah.
1: So they tested me um for all different things and they uh tested and they're like, oh you have hyperprolactinemia which then brought on looking for a brain tumor
0: oh my gosh you
1: can can right because that would be
0: the other kind of cause of it other than endo which I guess is a newer yeah connection
1: in the study that I read recently it said that there has been a significant find recently where people with stage three or four endometriosis end up having higher prolactin levels or hyperprolactinemia Hmm. Uh, and it can even be used as like a diagnostic tool to diagnose endometriosis and like instead of the surgery route because as of right now the only way to effectively diagnose is surgery which is invasive and ridiculous you know in this day and age where this really prevalent you know chronic disease the only way to diagnose it is I mean laparoscopic procedures are not you know extremely invasive but it's still surgery
0: it's still surgery yeah for <sighs> sure like in all the chronic illnesses that exist like it's surprising that there mm-hmm. isn't like a blood marker yet like I mean now yeah. it's like there is but a lot of things can be diagnosed that way by like yeah, symptoms you'd... and blood blood tests right so exactly
1: like you'd think there would be some kind of blood test or diagnostic imaging or anything like that where you know you'd be able to detect it in some way but you just mm-hmm. nobody's looked into developing it nothing and it's still you know you got to be looked on in the inside to find it unfortunately
0: yeah yeah like I know that they can use like MRI and ultrasound mm-hmm. to like confirm certain things but they can't actually use it like yeah to like solely diagnose it, so yeah,
1: I think they can look for like cysts because like there can also yeah, be um, exactly endo- what are they called endometriomas or something like that, like the chocolate cysts that yeah. you can have on um, on your ovaries or something.
0: Yeah, so they would do um, like so- a transvaginal ultrasound mm-hmm. or something, but yeah, again, like it's not you can have cysts for other reasons. So oh yeah, and that's I've the had, problem.
1: <laughs> I've had cysts myself I have scarring from it I can like pinpoint the days I know when they burst because that would be an extremely painful day
0: absolutely I've only ever had one but the pain that when it burst was like
1: oh my gosh (laughs) horrible like it's it's comparable to birth it really is it's not
0: yeah I thought I had like appendicitis that's how mm-hmm. like, severe mm-hmm. it was when when mine burst and I vividly remember because I was quite a bit younger and I just remember mm-hmm. like laying on the floor thinking like I was gonna die or something
1: like, mm-hmm. yeah it was horrible. For real. I think I've had I think I've had at least two or three because I feel like I remember being 14 and being like I can think back to like a specific day where I was like mm-hmm bedridden just like Mm. writhing around in pain and crying and being like why is this happening to me and then happening again a couple years later and then when I had my surgery um my doctor she showed me the images because they take pictures you know of the of the surgery they do and she showed me this significant scarring near one of my uh Ovaries. And she was like, This, I believe, was a cyst that must have popped and it's pretty big. I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> Wonderful.
0: Diagnosis a long time. You've had symptoms that are like debilitating for mm-hmm. weeks or years, like bleeding mm-hmm. for for so long, what would you say has been like the most difficult part of like endometriosis for you? Like, is there something that you would say has been particularly difficult or is just the entire thing?
1: Each different, you know, symptom or ailment that comes with it poses its own problem. I mean, with each stage of like your life, like when I was in college and trying not to miss school
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: because I would be in so much pain, you know, having a 45 minute drive to school there and back because I commuted, um, I mean, that poses its own problems for that stage of my life. And then, you know, when I moved on to the next stage of my life of being married and like having a job, trying to be at work and trying to be professional when I'm literally just want to be on the floor crying and just like dying inside and then wanting to start a family and being told that after a while you know you hear those words you're dealing with infertility like it's just it was very heavy hard too because it can be very isolating mm-hmm. because despite how common it is nobody wants to talk about it with mm-hmm. you and this can even be for the people that also have it feel yeah. so isolated within themselves they don't even want to talk about it So I think that can be one of the really, the really hard parts for sure.
0: Yeah, that, that would be really difficult. And, and again, it goes back to it kind of being like a topic that people don't want to discuss, even when it's you that, that Mm -hmm. has it, like, that's so hard.
1: Because, yeah, because you're made to feel like you shouldn't talk about
0: it. Exactly. And so then like,
1: when you do want to talk about it, you know, you know, you get kind of a weird look, like.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which you know you have to find support for this like it's so important to have a support system for this because it is so isolating you know for whatever it's doing to you personally like for me it was probably the biggest thing was the infertility but I had a very supportive partner who helped me along the way and was willing to let me vent or just be upset or would was willing to do whatever To help me through it and everything. So, yeah, it's so important to make sure that you have somebody because it is so, so isolating. Mm -hmm.
0: How was having endo when you were trying to conceive or when you were pregnant? How did that impact your pregnancy if it did? So, it
1: didn't really impact my pregnancies too, too much. I was very fortunate in having my symptoms kind of take a break while I was (laughs) pregnant. I would have cramping here and there, but nothing. Nothing that I think was out of the ordinary for a normal pregnancy. I did, for both of my pregnancies, have to take, for the first trimester, progesterone supplement right. because my body just didn't make enough. And I've never been told if that was related to endometriosis or not. I have a feeling it probably is.
0: All those hormones are all mm-hmm. related to each other in some way, so it's mm-hmm. certainly possible. Like I mean, and you can have low progesterone without having mm-hmm. endo as well. But I mean yeah. being that endo is related to all these like hormonal shifts, it wouldn't surprise me if there was Right Right. And the fact
1: that it was it was both my pregnancies, not just one. Yeah. I have a feeling it probably was. So I had to deal with that. Um which actually they can bring on a lot of headaches the progesterone
0: yeah just because
1: it's such you know a potent hormone it can it can do it bring a lot of headaches bring on a lot of headaches so I dealt with that for a little bit in the first trimester but after I went off of that besides just being like horribly sick with morning sickness Mm -hmm. but getting to the point of being pregnant it was definitely very impacted Mm -hmm. by endometriosis because my doctor did eventually, and I think this is very important for healthcare professionals. She eventually just said to me, she goes, I honestly don't know how to help you anymore. I don't, because I had all these symptoms, you know, I had the unexplained bleeding after a while. I did a colposcopy, which is just another painful procedure. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't find anything. And she was like, I don't know how to help you. So I'm going to refer you to our resident kind of infertility specialist in our office and see if he'll help you. And I had recently been diagnosed with the hyperprolactinemia and mm-hmm. he, put me on, he put me on a medication to bring my prolactin levels down. And it was probably almost a year after taking those medications that I actually ended up taking getting pregnant, getting to the point of pregnancy, it definitely impacted, but I was very fortunate in that it didn't really impact during my pregnancy too, too much.
0: Right. And what about after pregnancy? Like, have you noticed a difference? Like, does it change symptoms or anything?
1: So I will say my periods have gotten a little more regular, Mm -hmm. which is totally new for me. It was like so crazy having a period that showed up the same time I've like <laughs> yeah. never experienced that but I mean the pain was still there I still had really 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 terrible cramps very heavy bleeding You know, I would get headaches it changed somewhat but in other ways not really at all so I mean like I've said it's there's no cure for it so mm-hmm. just as your body changes and you get older it's gonna change
0: yeah, I asked that because I was listening to this podcast Will Kill You's episode on endo a while mm-hmm. ago. And they talked about how like doctors used to just use pregnancy as like a pseudo treatment mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. which obviously isn't true because then after oh, no. your symptoms would just come back. So if your oh, symptoms yeah. even reduced in the first place, which wouldn't happen to everyone, like you said.
1: I can't tell you how many time, how many people. When I would talk about endometriosis would just tell me to get pregnant. Mm. And there's so many things wrong with that. To begin with. with. Yes, yeah, exactly. To begin with, I mean, first of all, you can't just tell people to get pregnant. First of no. all, you have no idea what they're dealing with. Like exactly. Because a lot of the time, like it was during the time where I was trying and I wasn't able to. So like exactly. That's like so gut wrenching for somebody to be like just get pregnant. It's like, no, you realize not everybody can. Just get exactly exactly like also like that's not a cure. So, you know, you can chuck that idea away.
0: Yeah, I can't believe people actually said that. I thought it was I I thought it was more archaic than that, but obviously not. I
1: had I had a lot of people, you know, during our struggle with infertility. So many people, you know, that you know, as soon as you get married, when are you having kids? When are you having kids? I think I, I retreated into myself. For quite a few months after being told that I was officially like on the infertility list and I I didn't talk to anybody for like months because I was so sick of like people being like, when are you going to give your husband a baby? And I'm yeah. Like, oh,
0: okay, well,
1: you know, we're done. We're done talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, people honestly, I don't know why people make those comments because you you just don't know someone else's situation Mm -hmm. and and it's none of your business is the second part oh I know
1: yeah and I would (laughs) like try so hard to tell people like you realize like I would try to like edge them or like nudge them to like the idea of why that was so inappropriate be like Mm -hmm. and usually I would just end up being like I am struggling with infertility and then they didn't get uncomfortable. Like, so that's why we don't say that to them anymore.
0: Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, you just don't know. And and some people just, it's like, it could be infertility. It could be that people just don't want to have kids exactly, too. And yeah. that's always it's awkward. Like, like, there's so many reasons why it's not wrong.
1: anybody's business. It really is just nobody's business. Like, absolutely. There needs to not. be a new rule where you don't ask about people's like, choice to procreate. Like,
0: yeah, or yeah exactly exactly because I hear about it happening so often which is just like I can't even imagine asking someone that like I oh me either I it's I don't not that I don't care but like I don't right. care it's it's your life like it's other people's life right like I I know why, There's like why <laughs> there's and there's like a
1: way to ask like instead of being like when are you going do you want to and if you have yeah. no subject dropped like yeah exactly if you're it. really
0: if you're really that curious then ask but ask it in a more sensitive way is that exactly so what is like one thing you wish people um whether that be the general public or healthcare providers knew about endo for I
1: think each group it's probably something different for the general public you know I think they need to know that it's not just like a bad period like that's not what endometriosis is like it impacts so much more of your life than people see you know we're we're told you know this is this is normal you should just deal with it you know this pain is just part of being a woman and you're expected to get up go to work go to school you know young girls who are like still trying to find themselves you know or young people and they're dealing with this excruciating pain and being told just suck it up you know it's it's so much more than that it can cause depression And like I said, it's so isolating. Like Nobody will talk to you about it. It's so hard to get diagnosed. Like when somebody tells you that they have it, you know, try to understand that it's not just a bad period. Like Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. impacts every part of your life. And for healthcare professionals, they need to stop guessing on how to work with it and stop, you know, Saying, oh well, you know, because it has to do with hormones, let's just, you know, throw a band-aid on so, it, basically. Yeah, let's throw some, let's throw a band-aid on, let's give you some birth control and call it good. Yeah. Because if you truly, if you're a healthcare professional and you have somebody coming to you with endometriosis and all these symptoms and nothing's working, stop guessing.
0: So yeah, refer like into somebody else. I like the way that your doctor kind of said, like, I don't know what to do. Like it's really like nice to hear healthcare professionals tell you when they 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 -hmm. don't know they don't know or I need to do more research on that or I need like you know what I mean it's it's honest yeah Yeah, I mean it's
1: like one of one of two things you know either do more research work harder to work with your patient Mm -hmm. you know this culture of like here especially in the U.S. of seeing your patient for no more than 15 minutes
0: it's the you same know, here.
1: It's, it's it's not working.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, often so, the same here. Yeah, like
1: either do more research or admit to yourself that you don't know how to take care of this person and what's going on with them, and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 want to help them get the help that they need, so refer them to somebody else, a specialist or
0: you know, somebody
1: who knows more about it, who's dealt more, has more, has, has had more success in treating and finding a treatment solution. Because I mean, yeah, birth control may work for some people. I have heard that, you know, some people, you know, maybe they have only stage one or two, and it's not, you know, so debilitating that a birth control may help it. And that's, that's great. And for some people even exercise. Can be wow. a helpful treatment or even a diet change. Right. But I mean, there has to be more emphasis on getting the help that that person needs and stop guessing. Like doctors need to stop just guessing. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I almost think that like, if you suspect, like as a healthcare professional, if you suspect the person has endo, you should almost initiate a referral right at the beginning. Even if you're Mm going to work with them through the first couple, like let's try a few things. Mm -hmm. um, At least then they have a referral and it's not then that they have to wait after trying all these things that aren't working. You know what I mean? Like Like
1: set a a goal, be like, Mm -hmm. we're going to try these few things. You know, if they don't work, And the goal that we're trying to reach, which is you being able to function in everyday life without being so debilitated Mm -hmm. by whatever symptom is like the worst for you. If we can't reach that, we'll find somebody else and maybe they'll be able to help you. For people who do have it, unfortunately, um, what I would say to them is that for now, while we wait for, you know, doctors to, you know, stop guessing and actually get more into the research and doing, um, more to help come up with a plan that treats more than just the symptoms. You are going to have to be your own advocate. You are going to have to do your own research. Everything that I know about endometriosis I've learned on my, I've learned by myself. Mm
0: -hmm. I've
1: read medical articles and journals and case studies and, I've learned everything on my own. You're going to have to be your biggest advocate. And if you have a doctor trying to tell you that, you know, it is just a bad period and that, you, you know, just get on some birth control and that'll help. And you really like, you know, your body, mm-hmm. you know, your own body. If That's you the most know that important
0: thing, I think. Yeah.
1: If you, if you know, it's more than that, keep pushing, you know, you deserve to be heard and understood and have your life you know have your life back because it can be all consuming because mm-hmm. it can be outside of your period like I've had cramps that were like honestly like labor pains when I wasn't even on it wow so you're gonna have to be your biggest biggest advocate unfortunately
0: it is unfortunate that that that's the case and I really hope that you know as as I I feel like in the past couple of years, there's been a real push towards Mm -hmm. like finding out more, knowing more about all women's health topics. Like there's really Mm -hmm. a big force of women now working in the healthcare field and and in research and stuff. And they really care about breaking those barriers down and, and providing more information and care to women who need it. Definitely. And I hope that that impacts endometriosis and like the care and the treatment and the diagnosis and that there is more research and funding put into the that research so that you guys like so that there's answers because Mm -hmm. something's so debilitating like when you compare it to another chronic illness for example like diabetes Mm -hmm. has so much research because it can be exactly like debilitating
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um but because this is a women's health problem mm-hmm. and because it's so often been brushed off as just bad cramps or just a bad mm-hmm. period. It, it just doesn't have that amount of research behind it. And it shouldn't be that way. Like it's clearly can impact your everyday function in so many ways. Mm-hmm. It can impact your life. Like oh, yeah. infertility impacts your whole life mm-hmm. and Yeah, it's just, I really hope that like with this movement that I'm seeing that, that we start to see like more treatments, more, more ways to manage it, quicker diagnosis, no one waiting Mm -hmm. for years and years to be diagnosed. Like I, I really hope that that's on the horizon and it it does really seem like I've definitely seen a lot more research come out and I've seen more people specialize in it and that kind of stuff. So hopefully, hopefully we're on the cusp of a better future yeah for
1: endo- I, I think even since I was diagnosed um oh gosh 21 that was seven years ago <laughs> even since then I uh I've noticed I I hear about it a lot more I hear about people talking about it a lot more and I always I was like really happy when I hear somebody talk about it I'm like oh yeah let's talk about it you know <laughs> let's stop Pretending it doesn't exist just because it has to do with people's periods, like, yeah, thank you. No, exactly. <laughs> so I definitely have seen like a shift a little bit. It's it's not as much as I would like, but mm-hmm. it's definitely moving in the right direction. I think so.
0: It's really good to see. I hope I'm contributing to that. Maybe. <laughs> more people yes. will be informed oh, no. about it you know so no
1: I love it I've I've been I've been listening to your podcast and everything and I've actually been learning a lot myself so I'm good <laughs> I'm really excited that you are doing this
0: well I'm really excited and thank you for sharing your mm-hmm. story and um, I'm looking forward to hearing other people's too just because yes. I know from your experience that that they can be so different so I'm I'm curious oh, yeah. to see how that, yes. how that out.
1: Everybody's gonna have, you know, their own story, and it's all gonna be so different. That's why it's so important to, to talk about it.
0: If you like this podcast, hit that subscribe button. You can also check out our website at ww.elephantinthewomb.com. .ca and subscribe to the blog email list for blog and podcast updates.